You know, you can make a cake out of a you can make a cake out of a box and it's pretty good, but man, it's nothing like something from scratch. And I'm telling you, the presence of God, you can you can get real close and you can fill up a stadium with people and you can have a million dollars in the bank account and, and have every kind of outreach, but if the atmosphere of the presence of God is not there, it is not going to do that which God can do. Isaiah chapter thirty, verses one through five. Let's go to prayer. Dearly Father, just thank you. Uh, I've said enough already. I want you to speak. But uh, meet the needs of the hour. Father, get all of our, our stubbornness out of the way. Father, if there's any rebellion in us this morning, any hard hearts this morning, Father, we ask that through your love and the authority of your love that you would just get that out of the way, Father. Uh, introduce them to who you really are. Not what religion says, not what mom and dad says, not what they've been taught or retaught or retaught. Father, I, I believe your Holy Spirit can introduce them to the true character of who you are. And if you do that, Father, I believe this altar will be full. I believe people will get saved. I believe people will be black. Uh, that people will be uh, fall back into the uh, from a backslidden condition. Father, they'll lay down burdens that they'll testify with genuine testimonies. Father, if you do that, uh, I believe you'll just meet the need of the hour. We thank you for that. In your son's name, we pray. And amen. Man, I'm fired up. Gosh, I can't even pray. Thank you, Wendy. You're right, Wendy. Isaiah chapter thirty, starting at verse one. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel. But not of me. And that cover with the covering. But not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin. That go down into Egypt. And have not asked at my mouth. To strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. And to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame. And trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Haines. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. That's the title of my message. I already said it because the Holy Spirit told me to say it. But listen, the only thing stopping you is you. The only thing stopping you is you. It doesn't say, woe to the rebellious father. Woe to the, the vindictive, legalistic, belligerent father. No, woe to the rebellious children that take counsel, but not of me. I've asked myself for the longest time, why do the people not come to church? And if they do come to church, why do they stay out of church? Why aren't we seeing people get saved? Why do we? Why aren't we seeing this altar filled with people laying things down at the altar? Why are we living as Christians less than what God has planned for us? And I've racked my mind around every possible scenario. I've said, well, maybe it's it's because they haven't heard about God and, and they haven't been introduced to the gospel. And that might be true in a few remote places in the world, but not here. They've heard the gospel. We know about Christianity. We know what Jesus is. I used to think it's because of people like their sin. And, and that's why they just enjoy sin so much. And that might be the case for some. But there are some people that are they're struggling and they would love to get out of their sin. They would love to be able to lay it down and start with a fresh slate. And I don't think that's it. And I often said to myself, well, maybe it's 
because Christianity and religion has gotten so mixed up that people want nothing to do with Christianity because they want nothing to do with religion. And, and you know, that, that might be the case, but I can say for myself and, and the people that I hang out with and, and the people of this church, and uh, that's not the case. I've seen people love people like Christ loves people. I've seen people meet the needs of the community. I've seen people reach out. And finally, as I was praying about it, as God led me in this message, he said, Brad, it's just because they're stubborn. That's it. And you might have a thousand reasons this morning why you're not doing those things, why you've not gotten saved, why you're still living in sin, why you've not laid it down at the altar. You might have a thousand reasons why you think that that's the reason you've not done it. But I'm telling you, there's only one. And it's you. That's it. Woe to the rebellious children. That word rebellious is the word of stutar in, in the Hebrew. It's actually also in Psalm 68 and 6. It says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The rebellious dry, dwell in a dry land. That word rebellious means in the Hebrew, stubborn. Just stubborn. That's it. That's all there is. <laughs> There's nothing else. It's just stubbornness. Jeremiah 17, 13 and 14 says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. <clears throat> shall be ashamed that you left. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord. What? The fountain of living waters. And then he says this. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. That's it. He'll do what he's going to do if we just stop being so stubborn. If he says he'll heal me, he'll heal me. If he says he'll save me, he'll save me. If he says he'll give me an abundant life, then he'll do it. The problem is we have to stop being so rebellious. We're running away from God Instead of running to God. We all know the story of Jonah. I'm not going to get into the, the logistics of Jonah. We've heard it since we were children. But we know the story. He was uh, he was a man that was sent by God to go speak to the, the city of Nineveh. He ran away from the presence of God. Hopped a boat in Joppa on the way to Tarshish. Running from the presence of the Lord. We know how it works. He, he burned himself down the bottom of the ship. A, God sent a storm, a tempest. To destroy the ship. And once again there he was fast asleep. As everyone's throwing cargo over. The ship's being destroyed. Everyone's running around figuring out what to do. And it says in verse 11. I just want to show you the, the rebellion nature of man. That we can fix our problems real quick. Because I have no doubt that Jesus can do it. He can do it in a moment. That's the authority that comes with Jesus Christ. If we could only stop being so stubborn. You know what I'm getting with? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Stop being so stubborn. So anyway, Jonah chapter 1 verse 11 says, And they said unto him, they said to Jonah, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was wrought and was tempestuous. And he said, Take me up and cast me forth in the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. That was the answer. I'm telling you. I don't know how big the boat was. I don't think it was a cruise liner. It may have taken 10 steps, 20 steps to get Jonah from wherever he was out of the boat. Two seconds. He could have been right there at the edge of the boat saying, if you would just kick, boom. <laughs> First word. If it's going to stop the storm, you're gone. 
If it's going to stop the storm, you're out. I don't care if I got to pick you up. I don't care if it takes one of us, five of us, ten of us. We're going to throw you overboard because that's what it's going to take to calm the storm, that we can save our lives. But look what it says in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode harder. <laughs> Jonah says, listen, you want to fix this real quick? Throw me overboard. This, steep, this, this storm will stop. All right, we'll row harder. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, did you understand what I said? If you want the storm to stop, God sent this storm for me. And if you want it to stop, you've got to throw me overboard. God, Billy, get behind me. We're going to row harder. We're going to get to shore. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. I'm telling you, we're not going to allow, God's not going to do what he needs to do until we submit. Until we stop being so stubborn. Two seconds, they could have fixed the entire problem. But yet they're throwing cargo, they're rowing hard, they're, the ship's being broken. And the fact is, they know the answer because here in a few verses later, that's exactly what they do. It's just to me, it's, sometimes it's so dumb in my own spiritual life, why I'm not allowing God to move when he says, Brad, I am ready at a moment's notice if you would just stop. <laughs> if you would just stop being so stubborn and let me in. Then I'll do it. But this is the thing about God. He will not force himself in it. We see that in Revelation. He said, I stand at the door and knock. But he's not going to knock it down off the hinges. He has the power to. But once again, love is a choice. It demands freedom. For him to force you to love him would not be love. But he gives you the choice. He shows you his character and his nature. And he shows you through the cross. that listen, the problem isn't me. I've loved you unconditionally. Here I am. I've done it all. I'm at the door. But you've got to open it. And it's so dumb to me in my own spiritual life. I hate to say dumb, I do. But it's so dumb to me why I'm not letting God just have right away. Just God, you're right. I'm just going to stop being so stubborn. I'm going to be stopping so rebellious. And I'm just going to let you do what you want to do. And I'm going to stop talking. I'm just going to sit here and watch you work. And I'm telling you, that's where praise comes. If we could just stop for a second. You know, I'm so thankful for the inner workings of Scripture. I am. Because not only do we get this conversation in the accounts of Scripture, but sometimes we'll even get to see the heart and the intents of the mind. Maybe those inside conversations that we can't see in the flesh, but the Spirit reveals to us. So in Luke chapter 15 in the prodigal son, we, we see a little bit of that. We know the story in that as well, but I just want to talk about stubbornness. We know that he, he wanted his portion, and he, and he took the portion of his father's goods, his inheritance before he was dead. And we know all about that, and he went off into a foreign land, and he, and he squandered a riotous living, just making bad decisions. And, and there he was, he, he had joined himself to a citizen of that land, and he put him to work in, a, in, the, uh, in the pig pen. And, and there was, a famine came to land, and food was less, and, and then food was none. And, and he's sitting in that pig pen, and, and it literally says that he was faint, he was hungry. For the, not even the food, but the husk, the stuff the pigs wouldn't eat. The husk of the food. I mean, it's worse than the worst. And pig food's bad enough. But if pigs aren't eating it, and you're hungry for that, there's a problem. And he said he fainted. His belly was so hungry. And, he, and we see this inner working. I want to read it. But we see this inner working of his mind. And I'm going to be honest. As I read it the other day, as God dealt with me, I said, this is dumb. Just dumb. It's like, we go through all of this uh, we go through all of this dialogue that is so unnecessary. 
so unnecessary to think about it and to reason it out and to use logic and, and rack. When it comes to running to Jesus, listen, all you've got to do is one thing, run. You can think about it until you're blue in the face and it's just going to get worse. But he says this, and he would have fain, this is verse 16 of Luke 15, and he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, give me a break. <laughs> That's what it says. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will rise. He's going through this ignorant dialogue with himself. Just stand up and get out. I will rise and I, and I will have this planned prayer. Listen, you're hungry. Get out of the pig pen and go and eat. But he says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no worthy, more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose. How often do we just, man, we make it this long when it can be this short. One step. You know, he had to, in this account, he actually had to leave the pig pen and run back to the Father's kingdom, which is an illustration of the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you right now, the minute, you're, the minute you want to change, God says, there I am. Amen. The minute you want to change, you don't have to leave the pig pen, close the pig pen door, make sure the, feed, the pigs are fed, that way that you don't get in trouble when you leave, walk that road, father sees himself far off, comes, wraps his arm, forget about it, we have the Holy Spirit, and the minute I want to change, God says, then change. The only thing that's stopping you is you. That's it. If I want to be saved, I like an altar conversion, because it's something that we can go back to years later and say, that was the place. If you don't have that specific place, sometimes it can get blurry, and the devil's very good at deceiving. But if you have that place, that time, that's why we write it in a book, that's why we give it to you, not so that you can know you're saved, so that you can tell the devil you're saved. But I'll be honest, the minute you want to be saved, and you tell God, God, I need you to be my Savior, I need you to forgive my sins, I need you to wash me clean and set me on a new path in life, it's over, it's done. It's, I mean, it really is. The, the problem was not the pew and the traveling and the altar. The problem was your stubborn heart. That's it. And it doesn't make sense to me. And I wrote a few things down. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 18. Because it doesn't make sense to me, guys. Especially even if you're in church and you're struggling with something. If you're in church and you've been in church... And you're not saved. Or if you've been in church and you're living in sin, I'm telling you, it doesn't make sense to me. Because here's the thing. We know, we know, you cannot deny it. I'm telling you, we know that God's word says it doesn't matter who you are. He says that right there, Romans 10 and 13, for whosoever. That's what his word says. So we can, we can take that out of the equation of why you don't have what you have. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. We see in Romans 5 and 8. He commended a love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So it's not who you are. It's not what you've done. We know that in Romans 8, 1, he doesn't condemn. He's not the one that condemned. The world's the one that condemns. He's going to judge the world. Romans 8, 1 says there therefore no condemnation. Those are in Christ Jesus. So it's not that. We see that in scripture with the woman 
They're caught in adultery. He said, who can name you? Neither do I can name you. We see that. We know that he's faithful and just to forgive. 1 John 1, 9. I'm just saying, I'm getting this all out of the way. That way, you know it's not God. And it's just you. And it's just me. If I don't have what God wants me to have, it is not because of him. It is because of me. But he is faithful and just. We know that he wants to give us an abundant life. John 10 says that. John 10 and 10. That's what he came to do, to have life, that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. Let's get it out of the equation. If you don't have an abundant life, if you're not living up to what God wants you to live up to, it's not because of God, it's because of us. And we know that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you from the devil's hell. That's it. No other one. Revelation 1 and 18 says he has the keys to hell and death. Nobody else has those keys. There are no copies made. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So I just want you to know all of that. We have to know that to realize, all right, I just got to stop being so rebellious. I got to stop being so stubborn. Second Samuel chapter 18, I believe, is the, the greatest account of what rebellion truly looks like and, and what the end of result of rebellion is. So we know that David had a son by the name of Absalom. Now, Absalom is, in the Hebrew, is comprised of two words, Ab or Abba, meaning father, and Salom, which is also a derivative of Shalom, which means peace. So theologians believe that Absalom is translated directly that uh, my father is peace, or in my father is peace. There's a few different ways you can read it. but So the literal name of Absalom is my father is peace. Not my father is belligerent. My father is judgmental. My father is legalistic. My father is holding me back. No, no, no. It's not what his name says. Because we know the count of Absalom. Absalom was a rebellious son. He literally revolted against his father David. Wanted to actually mutiny. Brought people with him. Caused a mutiny in the kingdom that he could become king and dethrone his father David. So think of this for a second. Absalom, whose, whose name literally meant, my father is peace. And yet... He's stubborn, and yet he's rebellious. You know, the problem was never the father. And you know David. David was a man after God's own heart. But anyways, look at verses 5 and on with me. Because first I want to show you a picture of God and his character. And the reason we are stubborn, the reason we are hard-hearted, the reason we are rebellious is not because of God. It is not. It's because of us. It's our self. It's our pride. And if we get it out of the way, I'm telling you, God will deal with us with grace. He will. So anyways, the king commanded, David commanded Joab and Adidashai and Ittai, saying, deal gently. Now understand this. Absalom was trying to get his father killed. Was trying to dethrone David so that he could have the kingdom. David had all the authority at this time of the kingdom and yet tells his man, deal gently. Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. There was no doubt in everyone's mind. They all heard it. 
how the king, how David wanted to deal with the son. It wasn't that when I get him, I'm going to chop his head off, I'm going to put him in life in prison. He says, if you bring him back to me, if he comes back to me, I'm willing to forgive. I want to deal gently with him. This is the character of God. He's not here to hold you down, to hold you back. He's not here to condemn you for your sin, because I'll be honest, he knew your sin before you even conceived your sin. That was the fact of the cross, that he died for it all. The transaction is it us stop being stubborn, accept grace and forgiveness, and then move on. But Absalom, once again, wanted to destroy David. David said, I want to deal with him gently. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David. And look what it says. I couldn't help it. This wasn't really in my notes until this morning. And Absalom rode on a what? (laughs) Nothing more stubborn than a mule. And Absalom rode upon a mule. And the mule went under under a thick bows of a great oak. And his head caught hold of the oak. And he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. And the mule that was under him went away. So sometimes the King James can, you got to kind of dissect it because it can, you can get lost in the, in the words sometimes. So... Absalom's running, he's on the run from David's servants, and he's on a mule, and he's running through the woods, and there comes an oak, and I, and I imagine, because I looked up some imagery of some depictions of this account, and there's a branch, and Absalom's head gets caught between a branch, right here, and the mule runs out, and there he is, stuck, stuck, and it literally says, between heaven and earth. So on the physical sense for a second, he's caught in this branch and his feet are now off the ground. And he's stuck. And God began to deal with me with that. And once again, it says he was stuck between a great oak, a great tree, somewhere between heaven and earth. And that's what the cross does. It makes us decide. We're not exactly on the earth and we're not exactly in the heaven. The cross of Calvary once again was lifted up on Calvary to be something different, something that wasn't exactly because Jesus, once again, didn't die on the ground. He was lifted up. And that's the thing. Sometimes we're we're in this decision, this valley of decision is what they say. And we have to make a choice. I'm either, uh, here I am, I, I'm stuck. I, I can't go any further, but I, I can't go back. And, I, and my mule's gone, and, and here we are. And I'm telling you, when the presence of God and the Holy Spirit begins to work, that's us. We're, we get caught. We're on the run. We're, we're rebellious children. Woe to the rebellious children that, that take counsel, but not of me. David wanted to deal gently with Absalom. And here he is. He's on the run. He, he won't say he's sorry. He won't come to beg. He says all that pride and, and all that stubbornness is, is finally caught up to him. And he's on the run and boom, he's stuck. And you might be here right now and you're saying, if I can only get out of here. If I can only, if I can only get through the preaching and get through the invitation and I can be on my merry way. And I can go back to being stubborn and I can go back to being hard hearted. But I'm telling you, while I got you, you don't have a choice. <laughs> You are in a moment where you're going to have to decide. Either I'm going to let pride keep me here. And I'll be honest, when I was in sin, 
It can get suffocating. Man, it can start closing in around you. I don't like the presence of God. I don't like Christian people. Because man, it's just, it starts to really close in on you. You get a little hot around the collar. Your palms start to sweat a little bit more. Your heart begins to race. And I'm going to tell you right now. It's not me. It's not Christian people. It's not this sermon. It is the presence of God that is trying to deal with your stubbornness this morning. And say, if the member, everybody heard. He had given word to all the servants. So it had gotten out. Then listen, I want to deal gently with Absalom. If he would just come back, we can make it right. If he would just come back, hey, he's my son. And I want to deal gently with him. But sure enough, it, his stubbornness, he's on the run and now he's stuck. And I want to tell you, I'm telling you, you can keep on running. But there will come a day. Because God's grace is sufficient right now. Gosh, it is so sufficient. He wants to do a work in your life. He wants to forgive it all. He wants to make it all right. And the only thing stopping him is you. That's it. But I'm telling you, you can keep on running. And you can keep on running. And one day, your sin and your stubbornness is going to catch up with you. Yeah. Let me just say this. You know, it's not your sin that's going to send you to hell. It's not. It's your rejection of Jesus Christ. Because he died for your sin. Your sin has already been paid in full. The problem is, you've rejected the sufficient necessary means to pay for that sin. That's the thing. He can, there's not one sin. I'm telling you, there's been murderers on death row that are in heaven today because they allowed Jesus Christ to wash their sin away. There is no sin you could ever commit that can keep you out of heaven except rejecting Jesus Christ. And you know what? You know why people don't reject Jesus Christ? Because they're stubborn. They're stubborn. They just don't want to. Their hearts are hard and it's so sad. He can do a work. So look what it says right here. And a certain man, verse 10, and a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man and told him, And behold, thou sawest him. And why didst thou not smite him to the ground there? To the ground. And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. So Joab was a, a mean guy, a real bloodthirsty dude. If you read anything about First, Second Samuel, he was he was he was belligerent. He was he was hungry for blood. He loved war, and he tells this guy, "Why didn't you kill him? You had every opportunity to kill him. I would have paid you to kill him." And the man said, "Joab, unto Joab, though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against." The king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged thee, and Ibishai, and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Once again, he said, I, you could, There's not enough money in the world, because the king told me he wanted to deal gently with him. And you're wanting to kill him. That is a vast contrast to what the devil wants from your life, and that's what's, he's put up these fronts, this. These, all these distractions of why you don't want to do what God wants to do. When the character of God, John 10, 10, the thief comes to what? To steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus Christ comes to give life. Right. Comes to give life. That is the vast contrast. Joab said, if you would have killed him, I would have paid you 20 shekels and a, and a girdle. This man said, you couldn't pay me a thousand. Because what the king said was that we need to deal gently with him. Otherwise... 
I would have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. And look right here. And I'm actually going to ask Zoe and Lindsay and Cole to come back up and get ready for an invitation. Just talk about suffocating for a second. The illustration, Joab's stuck. He's helpless. He can't, he can't get out. I mean, he's literally stuck in a tree. And the word has came out from the king that I want to deal with you gently. And now all that pride and all that stubbornness, it's worked up to this point. He almost had it. He almost took the kingdom. Almost had it all. His plan almost worked. And I imagine if he could have outrun those guys in the wilderness, the battle was going on, he probably thought, I might just win this thing, and David might just have to serve me one day. And here he is, stuck in a tree. Valley of decision. All that stubbornness, all that pride, look where it's gone. Now remember, this conversation is happening right there around him. One guy says, Joab... King said we need to deal gently with him. Joab says, I want him dead. <laughs> and I imagine for a moment there, because I want to read verse 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. <laughs> I'm not the king. <laughs> the king might want to deal gently and he might have all the time to forgive his son. But I'm not the king. And listen, it's just me and him right here. And it says, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom. Not in his neck, not in his abdomen, thrust them in his heart. And look what it says. And it breaks my heart. It does. It breaks my heart this morning. If you're being stubborn, all that stubbornness, all that pride, he's hanging there helpless. And I imagine for a moment, he says, my goodness, what have I done? My father... He was going to deal gently with me. He was going to take care of me. He would have forgiven me. I, it's, it's not him that I'm in this place. It's, I've done this to myself. And, and I imagine he could have even been pleading with Joab as Joab pulled out those three darts. And, and he held them up and he says, I'm not the king. I'm not going to tarry like you are. And it says, and he thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive. See, Absalom wasn't dead yet. He was still alive. And I'm telling you this morning that God's gracious is still good because you're still alive and he's still alive. It's still great. And I'm telling you right now, you can be stubborn all you want and you can be hard-necked. And, and I'm telling you, you can be rebellious and, and it's going to catch up to you. And I'm telling you right now where you're at, Jesus Christ wants to deal gently with you. He's not asking questions. He's not going to hold you to the fire. He's not going to hold you down and work your way back in the kingdom. He says, come to me and we can make it all right. But no one else will do that. No one else has that kind of grace, that has that kind of forgiveness. To, and I just imagine that, literally, if it was me and I was at this place, completely helpless, like I imagine saying to Joab, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's my pride and I, I know I rebelled and I, I, I know I'm just being stubborn, but let's, let's just talk about this thing. But Joab wasn't his father. Joab wasn't the king. And Joab literally thrust those darts into his heart. And I can't help but to think, I, I hate war movies. We were talking the other day. And those movies where it's just so real, it's just so honest. And, and hell is a real place. It is. It is a real place. 
And I cannot even begin to understand what goes through people's hearts that are in hell. Because I believe every account that you had an opportunity to accept Jesus, every opportunity that you had to to make things right with Him, to, to come to Him and to know that He's good and He's forgiving and He loves unconditionally, and yet they didn't. And I imagine hell is just a repeat over and over again of that thing that Absalom talked about. Hey, just let's talk about this. Let's, let's, can I have a do-over? Folks, there's no do-overs. His arms are open wide this morning. Isaiah says this, Woe to the rebellious children. He that knoweth to do good and that doeth it not is stubborn. God is good and you know what you need to do. It's not him. He is everything that you want and more. He is everything you need and more. But until you can get yourself out of the way, he will not be able to work. So as they get a song, I pray, I hope this altar's filled. Not because of the words I said, not because of the words they sang, but because God wants to deal gently with you. He knows you're rebellious. He knows your heart. He knows you're stubborn.